Howdy folks, welcome to Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along. I'm the Bad GM, Wayne Davis, and this is the show where we build an entire campaign for one system that you can run for your group. This season's been all about Deadlands Classic, so if an adventure in the weird west is up your alley, this is the show you've been looking for. As I always say in this point in the show, if you don't have your copy of the Player's Guide or the Marshal's Handbook handy, grab them since I reference them throughout the show. If you don't own copies, I'd suggest either checking your used game or bookstore or buying PDF copies from the Pinnacle Entertainment website, which is peginc.com. This week's show is a build-only show, so let's dispense with the usual chit-chat and get down to building. After all, we're nearing the end of our adventure, and I want to know what's going to happen just as much as you do. We need to start with recapping what we did last week so we know where to pick up. We picked up last week with Shelby Green and his batch of heavy hitters getting ready to move on the Church of Everlasting Love in Portland. The group approached and there was some sort of gunfight. Once that was done, the local law got involved, as did Shelby Green if he survived. It's possible things went well for the group, but it's also possible that the entire city of Portland turned on them, so we're not going to be too definite on that. We also noted that if by chance the group had taken out Shelby Green back in Salem, it would just be the hired guns in this fight, and that changed the complexion of how things worked going forward. However, regardless of how they got there, they eventually found out that Ed Stewart has a 25-year-old sister named Katie. Thinking back on it from the description they have, they realize they've met her before, United States Marshal Kate Sinclair, who they met back in Triumph. How they find her to protect her from her brother is another story entirely, and that's where we stopped our build last week. As we pick up this week, there's a question that I'm sure your group has, because I'm sure at least one of my group members had, but they didn't ask when the information was revealed in the game two weeks ago. If Kate Sinclair and Ed Stewart were in the same room, why didn't he do something then? The answer to that is a simple one. At that point, he didn't know about her. To Ed, she was the U.S. Marshal sending the group off on another task that allowed him to concentrate on the deals and deeds he had working up. He had no idea he was related to her until a little later on. So that would be why there wasn't any sort of confrontation back in Triumph all those months ago. The next part of the question is, how does the group find her? It should be apparent that they really need to do this. And if you're looking to help your group out, note that there are two reasons why. The first is that we're pretty sure at this point, Ed Stewart's looking to eliminate his entire biological family. Why he's doing this is still a bit fuzzy, though if you've got someone with voodoo or the occult as knowledge skills, they can roll and they've got a pretty good idea. There are some very powerful rituals you can activate for yourself that can make you darn near a god. However, many of them require you to sacrifice blood relatives. So, it would be safe to assume, if they do, that Stuart has been hunting down his biological family to kill them to fuel his ritual. We know he already missed out on the chance to take out his father, and it's also possible he missed out on his mother as well, depending on how your group did. So Kate is either his final chance to power a spell, or the chance to make that spell that much more powerful. Regardless of whether the voodoo part occurs to the group or not, they know that Ed wants to kill Kate. That should be reason enough for them to find her. Besides, they kind of owe Ed a dirt nap at this point, so if finding her gets them closer to him, it's probably worth a shot. And that final point on the first point is basically the second reason. They have no idea where in the world Ed Stewart is at this point. So if they find Kate, chances are good they'll eventually get to Ed, since he's most likely hunting her down. Now, finding Kate Stewart is going to be an issue of its own. After all, it's 1876. 
It's not like you can just Google search her name or walk into the U.S. Marshal's office and ask for her. She could be anywhere in the continental U.S., and the telegraph would be the only way to reach her, provided she's somewhere she can get a telegraph. So what does the group need at this point? They need someone with connections across the continent, with the ability to get information back and forth from sources quickly. They also need someone who's up to the minute on news going on pretty much everywhere, or at least as up to the minute as you can get in 1876. And it just so happens the group knows someone who checks all of those boxes. Alexis Miranda at the Dodge City Times. If the group's having trouble coming up with ideas about how to find Kate, have them make cognition rolls with a target number of 10. Success means they think of her. And for those in your group who might be a bit skeptical about how she'd be able to help, let's remember that Alexis is part of the reason why they're becoming known across the continent, since she's put together a string of reporters that have been working up stories about their various adventures. So if anybody has a shot at helping them, or more to the point, has a reason to help them, it'd be her. Now, if by chance they're still in Portland, they can hit up the telegraph office there. If they got run out, they can hit the telegraph in Salem. Either way, it's going to take a day for Alexis to get word back to them, and she'll tell them that she'll check into it, but suggests they meet her in Dodge City, noting it's probably the most centrally located they can be for whatever and wherever Kate might be at the time. Of course, the group can choose to not go there, and she's not going to take offense. However, and somebody in your group is probably going to think of it, being centrally located is a smart move. Since the way their luck's been going, Kate Sinclair will probably be closer to Dodge than to Oregon anyway. To get there the quickest, they'll want to go by train. And the fastest way to do that would be to take the Iron Dragon line from Portland south all the way to Shanfan. From there, they catch the Denver Pacific line to Denver. And I'd note they need to stay on the train when it stops in Salt Lake City since they might still be wanted there. In Denver, they catch the Black River line and that will run them directly to Dodge City. Now this route's going to take them about a week and it's the fastest way to get there. Before they get on the train though, you need to do something. Let the group know that if they're needing to wrap up any other loose threads for the campaign, this is the time to do it. If you've run the campaign exactly the way we've built it, there shouldn't be any loose threads. However, I've spoken to several folks who've added some flavor of their own to the campaign over time, and those smaller jobs have helped their group flesh out character points and make a few more dollars. Those are the type of threads that need to be tied up. This is also the time that any items the group might want to buy need to be bought. And for the record, we'll say there's now a Smith & Robards showroom in Denver so they can stop in and buy stuff before they head to Dodge. At this point, I'm sure you're wondering why we're doing this. Think of it as one of those notifications in a video game that once you continue past this point, there's no saving or anything like that until the end. That's where we're headed. Once the group gets off the train in Dodge City, we're going into turn four of the final lap of this race. So the group needs to stock up and be ready before they enter that turn. Now, if you don't have a Smith & Robards book, that's okay. The player's handbook has a few items in it that'll probably work for your group, especially if they haven't already purchased them. You could buy the PDF of the book, but unless you plan on running the game again at some point, I'd say that's completely your call. I'd also note that if you've got any mad scientists or inventor types in your group, by now they should have probably created some stuff that might come in handy as we make our way to the finish. This would also be a good point for your group to spend any build points they've been hanging on to, since increased abilities would be very helpful in the final couple of battles. So take all the time you need in order to get all of that taken care of, because once it's done, the group is on the train headed east to Dodge City, 
and we'll pick up there. Nothing happens during the ride into Dodge, and that's mostly because at this point I think we should be going a little bit easy on our group, since it's one of the last times we're gonna go easy on them for anything. They get off the train in Dodge City, and for our purposes, we'll say it's right around noon on Tuesday. We're into the month of November at this point, and prior to global warming, November could get downright frigid in that part of the country, so it's really cold and the wind is making it that much colder. Now, they do need to make a decision. Do they go get rooms, then go to the paper, or do they skip the rooms and head straight there? Really doesn't matter either way, truth be told. Let them go get the rooms, which will be exceptionally easy this time of year, and they can get really nice rooms for two bucks a night, bath included. The overall time to take care of that is really only going to cost them about a half hour overall, so it's not like they're spending hours trying to do this before they move along. But move along they will, eventually, and they'll head to the Dodge City Times. The offices of the Times are much busier than they were the last time they were here. In fact, they see a lot more people working in here than before, and there are several men and women who appear to be editors of some type wandering the floor and helping out folks as they hammer out their stories. They also see that Alexis has a new office. While she'd been in one of the smaller offices the last time they saw her, she now has the big office with the windows on it, and she's waving to them from there, encouraging them to head to her office. The sign next to her door makes the changes even more evident, as it reads, Alexis Miranda, editor-in-chief, co-owner. She greets everyone warmly and offers up seats and coffee. She'll explain the new digs by noting that all of the stories she'd gotten out about the group got really popular. So popular, in fact, that newspapers across the country have been picking them up, which means they've been paying the Times for the privilege. So as a reward for bringing the Times a ton more money in, she was promoted to editor-in-chief and was given the opportunity to buy half the paper. Of course, she notes that the death of old man Clarney about a month ago is what opened up both positions anyway, but she's not about to look the gift horse in the mouth. And in case anyone asks, she did not have anything to do with Clarney's death. He was an old man. It was probably a heart attack or something. Once they settle down to talk business, Alexis notes that all of her new connections made it a lot easier to reach out than it once would have, since she can basically reach all the way to Maine and all the way down to Miami if she needs to. According to her sources, Kate Sinclair was last positively identified in Kansas City about a week and a half ago. However, nobody's seen her since then. Alexis's sources haven't seen her in St. Louis, so she'll bet even money she didn't head that way. She's still got people keeping their eyes out for things, but nobody's had a confirmed sighting since Kansas City. Just about the time they've gone through all the discussion on this topic, a young man knocks on the door and brings Alexis a note. She checks it, then corrects herself to the group. She can now confirm that six days ago, a woman identified as Kate Sinclair was riding with another woman who'd appeared to be scalped, and they were leaving Lawrence, Kansas, heading west. Her source also noted that there was a group of about a dozen men hot on their tail, so where the ladies went from there would be very hard to determine. Now, the group knows who that scalp-looking lady is. That's Texas Ranger Alexis Mendez, because she was also in triumph with Sinclair, and the group got the impression that the two ladies might have a bit of a relationship going on there. No judgments, except to note that their respective governments might not be too happy about them being together. So, the fact that they're still both together is a positive, but the fact that they're being chased at full speed is not good news. And before the group can figure out their next move, Alexis Miranda notices some of the men on the floor below waving to get her attention. The group can see it too. They're waving their arms and pointing outside like there's some sort of commotion going on. 
She'll get up and head for the door, and presumably the group will come as well. She'll tell them to get their weapons out and says she'll tell Masterson and Earp she hired them for protection if anything is said about it. They hear the commotion well before they see it, but let's set the scene anyway. As they walk out the front door of the newspaper office, they find themselves staring down a standoff. To their right are a dozen men armed heavy with rifles and pistols. To their left are three folks they've met before, Bat Masterson, Wyatt Earp, and a very bloodied Kate Sinclair. Masterson and Earp have their guns trained on the gang, but Sinclair is practically crawling to get behind them. She doesn't have a gun pulled, and it's apparent things are getting tense. Now, Masterson and Earp are doing everything they can to try to talk the gang down, but it's becoming more and more apparent this is going to end in bloodshed. In fact, the townsfolk who've been observing have started to scatter, knowing they don't want to be anywhere near the guns when they start going off. If the group seems to be hesitant to want to get involved, Sinclair will glance their way, smile weakly, and make one statement loud enough to be heard. If you boys want to help out, now would be the time. So we've got yet another gunfight. Gunslinger template for the bad guys. There aren't any stats for Earp and Masterson, but they're not really going to be involved in this fight anyway. Their primary job is to keep the bad guys off of Sinclair. However, if your group is having issues and can use a little help, give both men the law dog template and let them jump in. If you're wondering why Earp and Masterson aren't statted, it goes back to an old theory from Dungeons and Dragons back in the day. If stats are provided, your players will try to kill it. In this case, though, I'd say that if they're statted, you're going to be really tempted to use them. Anyway, once the fight's done, give the group a blue, red, and white chip each. Earp and Masterson will thank the group for their help and will ask if they'll help bring Sinclair to a sawbones. There's a doctor about a block from their location and he'll be able to remove bullets and get her stitched up. He will report that she'll live, but it's going to be a couple of weeks before she's going to be up and moving again. Sinclair's out while this is going on and therefore can't object to what's being said. Earp and Masterson ask the doctor to leave shortly after he's finished, and they want to know what the group knows, since it seems a bit too convenient that they just happened to be in town right before all this started. The group has no need to lie, and since they've had conversations with the group before, they want to believe them, so we're not going to make them roll. Earp and Masterson agree that, for now, the group is allowed to go healed in town, but ask them to be subtle about it. They also task the group with guarding Sinclair since they don't have the manpower to both police the town and guard an injured U.S. Marshal. That leaves the group to guard Sinclair, and the doctor will agree to allow the group to move her to a hotel, should they want to. She'll be awake the next day and complaining about sitting still. But this would still be a good time for the group to have a conversation with her about Ed Stewart and all the stuff going on. She does seem very suspicious of all of this, but if the group's got any of the paperwork they've picked up recently, she will slowly start to believe. By day three, she's doing a lot better. Still not in a position where the doctor's willing to release her to go anywhere, but she's working on figuring out exactly what in the heck is going on. She sends group members to the telegraph office on a number of occasions to send telegrams to various marshals around the country. It's also about this time that she's finally willing to talk about what happened to Alexis Mendez. The two had run into a group just east of Lawrence, and they started firing without warning. They rode as hard as they could to the west, trying to figure out how to lose the group. After two solid days of riding, their horses dropped dead, and they took off on foot. Later that day, they thought they'd found a barn to hide in, but the owners of the farm they were on sold them out, and Alexis took a bullet through her brain for their trouble. Kate didn't have time to grieve. She stole a horse and rode like heck for Dodge, and, well, the group saw how that ended. 
Lunchtime on day four, the upswing the group was feeling about things swings back down again. They hear somebody on the street call out, Kate Sinclair, you can keep running to the ends of the earth, but Mr. Stewart will keep chasing you. Eventually he's going to catch you, so I keep running. Come on down and let's talk about this. Sinclair will make her way towards the window, but she'll set up just off to the side. She'll respond. It's funny how Ed Stewart keeps sending his little lackeys after me. If he was serious, he'd be here himself. Now, your group's going to probably be checking out what they're dealing with while Sinclair talks to the man calling out. The man she's speaking with is a bulky, dark-skinned dude, at least six feet tall and well over 250 pounds. The shotgun in his right hand looks darn near like a pistol. He's got enough men around him for the total to be two more than the group plus Kate Sinclair. And we know how this is going to end, so let's just get into it. As usual, the shooters are gunslingers, the big guy is a soldier, and Sinclair is a sheriff. Also, Sinclair has one wound in each arm and each leg, so that's a total of four wounds. So she's got negative modifiers to her roles. See the combat section for more on that. When the fight's over, the group gets two reds and two whites. They'll also want to head down to check these guys out. They'll find the various guns and ammo, plus a note on the big guy. It says, Douglas, Shelby failed me in Portland. If you wish to continue being my right hand, you won't fail me in tracking down the marshal and bringing her to me. E. There's no location given in that note, but there is a certain irony the group will probably pick up on where Douglas failed after being warned not to. So they've taken out both of Stewart's top guys, but they still don't have a clue about where he might be. This is where Kate Sinclair will come in, if the group doesn't think about it. If the group's mentioned all the family members, she'll think of the dark magic rituals that could be done and suggest they check with a shaman she knows to get some more information about them. In spite of the doctor's warnings, she heads out with the group since she's the one who knows where the shaman is, and it's about a two-hour ride northwest of Dodge. On the ride, Sinclair warns the group to let her do the talking and strongly suggests they muzzle their guns. As the two-hour mark comes, they see a pair of hastily built structures off of the main path. There's a fire built out in front of one of them, and when they get closer, they see that the roofs of the structures are covered with stretched leather. There are four gentlemen sitting around the fire, and there is no doubt in anyone's minds that these are Sue. One of them, a very young-looking man, stands and almost runs to Sinclair, helping her off her horse. She refers to him as Pathfinder, and that's how he introduces himself to the group. Once the others are assured the group means them no harm, they head into the structures and give all of them some privacy. Sinclair doesn't waste time. She tells Pathfinder why they're there, and he says he'll chant and meditate on it for a bit if the group will just be patient. It takes him about an hour, but he finishes and addresses the group. He notes that there are many spots around this land that would work for the sort of ritual you speak of, but there's one that would be the best. This will be the point, if it wasn't earlier, that the group will probably in unison tell you that they figured triumph would be the answer all along. First off, they're lying. They might have figured it out a session or two ago, but come on, we've been taking them all over the place. Besides, I was originally thinking about having this end in New Orleans, but that could have gotten messy. But yeah, that's the area Pathfinder gives them, specifically one of the mine tunnels just outside of there. He also takes the time to chant over Sinclair and heal her wounds. Sinclair will thank Pathfinder and give him a small bag from her vest. Pathfinder opens it, glances in, smiles, and nods. Sinclair then tells the group they need to saddle up and head back to Dodge because she's got a few things she needs to take care of before 
we go kill my brother. Two hours later, they're back in Dodge. Sinclair hits up what she calls an old contact, which I'll let you flesh out if you want. And that contact provides her with a Gatling pistol, holster, and 100 rounds she'd left with them. She hits up another and gets an armored vest from them. Once she's done, she suggests they get a good night's sleep and head out in the morning because they've got a six-day ride to Triumph. And that's where we're ending the build session this week. I know we're cutting it a bit short, but next week should be the last build we do since we're heading in for the final battle. For the record, should your group be wondering how they missed all this before, we'll note that they probably didn't go into the left tunnel when they went to the mines early on. The issues that they were dealing with were in the right mine, so they wouldn't have noticed some of the things going on in that left side at the time, which we'll get into greater detail on next week. And next week's episode will probably be supersized, since we'll also have our session recap for my game since we play tomorrow night. Now, normally, this would be the point in the show where I'd ask you to listen to our other podcast, Role Playing History. However, due to my voice not being what it should be, I was unable to record a new episode this week. And yes, I've dropped this particular point in just as I'm finishing editing to post the episode. So these were done at two different times. However, you can go back into the archives of role-playing history and check out some of the great deep dives that we've done over time. And yes, next week we will cover Legends of the Five Rings, which we had originally announced for this week. Role-playing history is available wherever you get your podcasts or through our website, badgmproductions.net. All Deadlands classic materials referenced on this show are the trademarked and copyrighted properties of Pinnacle Entertainment Group and are used here for entertainment purposes only. If you're interested in buying these or any of their other fine products, check out their website at peginc.com. The music we use for this show comes from pixabay.com. Check them out for all your license-free, royalty-free music for your next project. Bad GM's campaign build-along is a production of Bad GM Productions. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash gaming forward slash Bad GM Prod. On Twitter at Bad GMP. YouTube, it's Bad GM Productions. You can email us, badgmproductions at gmail.com. And online, as I've said, it's badgmproductions.net. Next week, we should be wrapping up our campaign. <laughs> Note I said should. Depends on how nasty things get. But that's next week, partner. Until then, I'm the bad GM Wayne Davis, and I'll see you at the game table.